Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Exvoyant, the one-on-one platform that's transforming how market-leading sales organizations use Salesforce around the world. Move past the call reports, pipeline reports, and forecasts, and stop using Salesforce just as a system of record. Let the Exvoyant team show you how to use Salesforce as a system of impact, improvement, and performance by creating one-on-ones that ignite and inspire. If you don't have a plan on how you can help every single rep on your team improve by at least 10%, Exvoyant can help you grow faster than you ever thought possible. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today we're joined by my friend, Jeff Spencer, Senior Director of Sales Operations for the Waste Management Corporation. Jeff leads a team of 3,000 salespeople in what is one of the most sophisticated sales teams I've ever been introduced to. Under Jeff's leadership, they've had unbelievable growth, and the last two years have been particularly impressive. I'm super excited to dive into his playbook today. Jeff, welcome to our show, and thanks for joining us. Thanks, Rob. Happy to uh, happy to be here, and thanks for having me on the on the program. I've been excited ever ever since we started uh, uh, this podcast. Now I can't believe it. We're we're going into our twenty first, twenty second episode. I've been wanting to get you on board. I'm a big fan of of what you do personally and what you've done with the Waste Management Corporation. Jeff, to start us off, can you just introduce our listeners? We've got listeners around the world. They've seen your green trucks driving around. Can you introduce them to the Waste Management Corporation, what you do, and just a little bit about your company? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I, I think probably just by way of a little bit of backdrop, it's helpful to understand a little history. We currently, we're about a $14 billion Fortune 500. Uh, we operate predominantly in North America, Canada, and the U.S., um, we have been in business now. Uh, in fact, we got a birthday coming up, I guess you could say. We were incorporated in 1971 in Chicago. Um, so we're celebrating 50 years in just a little over a year now. Um, there's about uh, 42,000 employees in total in North America. And as you suggested, there's uh, roughly 3,000 of those are, are in the sales discipline in one form or another. Um, and then uh, we're we're pretty much what most people would expect in terms of the business model. Um, it's solid waste and recycling, collection, disposal, treatment uh, throughout the footprint. And we also manage a lot in the way of uh, hazardous waste and specialty waste for a lot of our industrial clients. Uh, and then recently in the last several years, ever since the oil field services industry got started with um, the fracking operations within the shale plays, uh, we've been involved in that business as well. So pretty, pretty broad brushed uh, scope at this point. So I appreciate you introducing everyone to, to the Waste Management Corporation. Because like I said, I think most people are familiar with your company because they see you, and probably a high percentage of our, of our listeners are your customers, I would guess. Um, and I want to talk about how you've done some really interesting things to say, yeah, we're a really mature company and we're a dominant player, the, the, the market leader but you're staying in growth mode. We're going to spend our time talking about that. I'm interested if you could just share a little bit about your story as you've, as you've kind of grown up and done a few things to get to where you are at Waste. Just give us a quick little 
uh, highlights of, of what led to getting you where you are now? Uh, yeah, sure. I, um, I actually started with the company, uh, geez, it's going on 29 years now, um, back in uh, New York, in upstate New York. And I started as sort of a manager trainee, frontline manager trainee, which meant I had to obviously go out and carry a bag and be a rep for about a year and a half, two years before I moved into a management role. Um, and then um, I think probably for me personally, the, the secret to moving through the moving through the company and, and getting to the next level each time that I did that was, was probably twofold. One, I tried to build as much experience in as many different roles as I could. So I was involved in the collection side. I was involved in the post-collection landfill and transfer side. Um, I actually had a little bit of operational background for a couple of years. I was a district manager up in Rochester, New York for a while. Um, and then I moved into sort of a regional sales uh, management uh, approach in, in the state of New York. <clears throat> and so I think just by, by expanding out and understanding the business from a lot of different angles, that helped tremendously. It gave me a breadth of experience where I could get some, some trust and credibility built with the people who were going to have something to say about my career. Um, and then I think the other, the other thing that I, I tried to focus on was, you know, I think a lot of folks think in terms of, I, I, they have aspirations to do the next thing, to grow to the next level, to climb the ladder, as they say. Um, probably the best advice I could give folks is don't, don't wait for somebody to tell you that we're giving you the job. Start to step in and do the job, right? Start, start mm -hmm. to demonstrate to them that not only do I want it, but I'm going to show you that, that even though I haven't been officially granted it, I'm going to start looking at some of the, the responsibilities that exist within the next role and sort of prove that I, I could be successful within in that capacity in the next level up. Um, and it makes it makes the decision to make you the next person in that role a heck of a lot easier because they've already seen some evidence of it. That's really good advice. I, I, I'm actually glad you shared that. I, I, uh, we may come back and talk about that towards the end if we have time. Because that's super interesting advice. I get a lot of questions from our listeners saying, you know, any any tips you can get from these these successful executives they like. That's a really good one. You know, that will act like you've been there, right? Exactly. Exactly. So I, I hope that right now everyone is is going to get. We're going to give them some really good insights to what you've done to create, honestly, one of the strongest high growth stories uh, available in sales right now. And I want everyone as they're listening. Go look up the WM, the waste management stock price, and look at what's been happening for the last couple of years. Jeff, the reason that we have you on the show isn't just because you lead a large team. We are the sales leadership podcast where we look at people that are taking what the market gives and then some. You have absolutely taken more than what the market gives, particularly in recent years. Can you start to share a little bit about some of your thoughts around how do you take a big company and say, we're not going to enter mature mode. We're just going to kind of cruise along. How do you stay a growth story even when you become as big as you are? Yeah, it's a good question, Rob. We, um, I think probably one of the things to do there is a little bit more, a little more history and context, not, not the fact-based stuff, but sort of the, the journey that we went on. Um, I mentioned the fact that we were incorporated in 1971 back in Chicago. And I would say that We've been broken into two major phases over the years, over the roughly 50 years. About three decades of our growth was really consolidation of the industry. So we grew by acquisition almost exclusively. In fact, it would have been easy to look at us and say we were really just a big holding company. Um, 
And then as the consolidation started to slow down just a little bit, just by nature of, you know, it had reached a sort of a diminishing returns curve between us and at the time BFI, they've transitioned a couple times since then into other companies. But, um, you know, one of the, one of the CEOs that we had, uh, several years ago, it was around the turn of the millennium, I would say it was around 2000 when, you know, we had a guy come in and say, look, he had a pretty funny saying, he said, sooner or later, you got to run what you bought. Um, and we were, we were definitely at that point. So he was an operating guy. Uh, we recognized we needed to become more of an operating company. Acquisition was still going to be part of the growth plan, but we needed to get stable around the operational side. Um, so we spent probably five or six years working very hard to stabilize the, the ops group, create some common practices, some best practices, um, and, and really set ourselves up so that the, the experience we gave to customers was more consistent, more predictable, et cetera. Um, so that was really the beginning of becoming an operating company. The, the next phase, once we had done that and we felt like we had basically earned the right with our customers to then fix another problem the industry had, which was depressed pricing. Um, it had been sort of a, a race to the bottom by a lot of the competitors, including the small <laughs> moms and pops. And you, you, you could you could have easily looked at us. We weren't necessarily a Harvard re- Business Review uh, the way the airlines were. But I can tell you that in the 80s and 90s, when the airlines had their fare wars and had the same race to the bottom, we were doing a little bit of the same thing. Um, so we had to fix the price issue. And, of course, being the 800-pound gorilla in our space, it was going to be us or nobody. Um, so we really led a strong price push to say we've got to fix the earning, depressed earnings problems. Because in order to, it's self-sustaining, right? In order to keep up with the operational excellence, whether that's safety, environmental, whatever the, the disciplines are, there's got to be enough dollars in the coffers to support that. So we pushed hard on the price button for a while, and that helps support year-over-year earnings growth for quite some time. Um, and then to kind of bring it full circle to your question about how do you continue the growth, there's a realization at some point that that, that doesn't last forever. You have to become more of an organic growth company, meaning both price and volume, not just one or the other, and you can't just buy it all. Um, so we started to realize we're going to have to just flat out sell more, and we've got to get better as a sales organization to figure out how we do that, not only to capture our fair share of economic growth, but you know to win some of the, some of the share war that goes on every day between any company and any space they operate in. So that was kind of our uh, evolution. So I've been introduced a little bit to some of the things that you've done. And one of the things that I was really impressed with was your approach to saying, okay, so we're going to do this. And I love that quote, got to run what you bought. I wrote that down and I, I love that. Got to run what you bought. <laughs> you, you looked at it. And, and one of the things that I've always been impressed with Jeff is, is I've learned a little bit about how your team works. You've really done a good job putting some process around and, and you guys have your own name for it. And I don't want to get into the weeds, but, it seems to me that not only did that help you have a way of saying, let's move the whole ship in a certain direction. As I've talked to some of the people that work with you and for you, they really like this approach to process that you've built. It seems like process wasn't like a necessary evil for your team. It seems like something that they've embraced. Can you talk a little bit about the way you've done that at Waste? Yeah, sure. We, um, I would say that that we probably weren't that different for a long time as we as we started to have this I won't call it an epiphany but sort of this transition into what meant more organic growth and more sales activity um we were probably similar to a lot of sales organizations in that 
there was probably this sense that that sales in general, successful sales was sort of a series of happy accidents um, as opposed to, uh, you know, a process that, that went on and an actual uh, recipe, if you will, for how to be successful in the world of sales. And for us, that was both on the acquisition side. In other words, gaining new logos, gaining new customers, and also on the retention of existing customers. Um, so we started to think hard about that and said there, that we've got to be able to give our people um, the recipe, if you will, or some form of recipe, which basically just means the process that's upstream from the result, right? The outcomes are the sales numbers, the sales targets, the retention targets, sort of the KPIs that you look in the rearview mirror and say, how did we do? How did we do compared to the prior month? How did we do compared to prior year? Everybody measures those things. But the real secret sauce, in my view, is what was it for each individual salesperson, sales manager, sales group that led to those outcomes? How did they achieve those positive outcomes? What were the muscle movements, the actions, the activities uh, that led up to that? So we had been building, building a pretty good database throughout a number of years that, you know, we started with a little bit of data science. Uh, we were able to look, run some regression on what people were, in fact, doing from an activities perspective that was leading to good outcomes. And we were trying to model the best folks in the organization um, to say, what is it that they're doing so we can, you know, translate that across the board, sort of cross-pollinate with the rest of the organization. But we knew we probably had to build the playbook in order to do that. So for us, in particular, the, the moniker we happened to put on it just because it had already been branded within waste management was sales SDO. And sales SDO was was sort of our um you know, TQM, total quality management program within sales, let's call it. And we actually, you know, memorialized the, everything about pipeline health, everything about relationship health with customers. And what was that recipe? What were those activities and processes that you had to go through as a rep to have good outcomes at the end of a month, at the end of a quarter, et cetera? So was that hard to roll out? I mean, I, I know you've got people that have been there for a long time, and sometimes you have people say, hey, man, we've been doing great. Why the change now? What, what kind of change challenges came with that? Yeah, we, we were fortunate in that regard, Rob. We had a couple of people that we took advantage of internally in the company that, that their academic training was actually in or, um, organizational change management. So we had some folks that were very good at that and understood the, the things that you had to do to get there. Uh, and was it tough? Yeah, absolutely. Right. This was this was effectively a transformation within the sales organization. And every time you do that, obviously, there's going to be you're going to have to break some eggs. You know, you're going to have to uh, make some potentially unpopular decisions. You got to go look for all the I don't mean to sound like a bucket of cliches here, but you got to look, go look for all the, the sacred cows uh, that are probably going to have to be torn down and, and changed. So there's no question that we had to go through that process. And, and I think started for us, I would tell you that, that we put two things in place. We said, we're going to start it with the people. We're going to start it with aligning the leadership and making sure that they're all of the same mindset. Um, and we're all lined up and, and we have each other's back, if you will, in terms of, you know, the, the effort that it's going to take to do this going forward. And then we're also going to apply technology because as we looked around the landscape within our particular industry, one of the things that we had the advantage of is we knew that nobody else was very different in terms of how they were operating a sales organization than what we were at the time. So we knew we had the benefit of being a first mover. Nobody else was thinking about it this way. So, so if we got there faster, they were going to have a tough time catching up and replicating. Um, so again, we started on the people side, 
We did the people development piece. Um, we knew we weren't necessarily a great learning culture and therefore we weren't a great coaching culture. And that was really one of the, the pivotal pieces that was important to us. And then we wanted to tie that to, as I said, layering in some elements of technology that would give folks the right tools to go do their job every day. If that so makes let's sense. talk about that. So yeah, tons of people have benefited from a process. You talked about your process on sales. What I think is your big epiphany that I think has really helped you guys stay in front is you realized you needed a different leadership and coaching process as well. So now you're applying that same kind of discipline. So yeah, online making sure that we gave a really good experience to our customers. But now you shift and say, now I want to give a really good experience to our reps to make sure that we're helping them improve. We're helping them stay focused. You applied that same thing. Can you talk a little bit about that shift? Because that's something that I don't see a lot of people doing yet, Jeff. And honestly, I think that that was, you got another nice bump as you started to do that. Yeah, for sure we did. And, and you know, one of the, one of the first things I mentioned, the data that we had built up, we, we had a little bit of the, the benefit of a head start with regard. We became a salesforce.com shop about 10 years ago. Um, and, and, and not unlike a lot of companies, we probably had some, some fits and starts in the early phases of figuring out how to get adoption. How do you get people's heads wrapped around the fact that this isn't just a big brother is watching uh, yeah. kind of an approach, right? Um, it, it really, you really had, had to be very transparent with the reps and be sincere with them and build trust to understand that this was about the whole organization, them included, them most of all, be having an opportunity to get better because of the processes that we were going to build and the coaching that we were going to build into that. Um, so there were any number of things that, that we did from a technology perspective, but a lot of it was around the CRM platform uh, mm-hmm. and then the enablement that we put in place there. Um, and then the next thing we wanted to do was start to apply some technology-based activity around the coaching piece. So as we got people convinced that learning and coaching and growing and getting better um, was positive for everybody, we said that can't just be a series of conversations. It can't just be a philosophy. It's nice to have the philosophy and have everybody aligned behind it, but somehow you got to activate on that. How do you turn that into something that becomes real? And then and that's where we started to say, what's the technology that can be plugged in 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 conjunction with Salesforce and other tools that will help those conversations, that will facilitate the coaching sessions and that will actually give people the opportunity to understand going back to my sales SDO piece. What are the next steps I have to take to get to those positive outcomes? So we've worked very hard on that over the course of the last two to three years. So there's two two stories that come to mind that I think would be interesting, and, and I know that I didn't really prep you for this, but I, hopefully you'll pick up what I'm going down there. A couple of things you shared with me. Um, <clears throat> I'm thinking I've I've had a chance to meet a lot of your regional leaders, Jeff. You've you've developed this really top tier leadership group in all your regions and then your frontline managers. And I'm I'm thinking of one in particular that I was in a meeting with them. He was talking to his whole team, and he said old statement I've never heard anywhere else. I love to share it because I think every leader should have this mindset. He said, when we hire someone to waste management, my focus is we're hiring to the last job that they ever take. And you guys have been backing that check. I mean, your, your guys' retention has been really, really stellar. Can you talk a little bit about how the coaching has helped you both retain what you have, but it's also helped you on the recruiting side? As you shared with this incoming sales world, 
here's how we're going to help you be successful. Would you mind addressing that just a little bit? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I, I think the, the key to, for me to that piece of it with regards to the people side, the retention of employees, the excitement that you build, um, especially in a day and age, and I mean, people, everybody likes to talk about the millennial generation these days, and, and I'm not sure how much those profiles really impact. <laughs> different people are still going to be different, but there is something to that, right, from the standpoint of the era that they grow up in. So a lot of the people that we're interviewing and hiring now, obviously, are coming from that, you know, let's call it mid mid to late 20s, early 30s generation. And there are some differences. And the main one to me is is that technology is a way of life given. It's not only a given, but frankly, if it's an expectation, they don't they don't come into a company and anticipate that they're going to have anything less than a, a full suite of tech services that they're probably going to be tablet based technology-based, CRM-based. They're going to have all the data that they need. Um, and, and I think if you don't have that, it's going to put you at a disadvantage. So we've used that to our benefit to not only attract talent but to retain it. But I'll go one step further on that and tell you that the other difference that I see, frankly, from the millennial generation that's different than, say, from, from, from mine. I'm the tail end of the baby boomers. <laughs> and then there's all the X and Y and everybody else in between. But the big the big thing I see these days is that they they not only accept the coaching better, I think, but they actually crave it. They actually reach out and look for the opportunity to get better, which I think is is fantastic. It's very encouraging to see somebody, you know, actually seek it out. Um, now, the experience has got to be a good one, right? The experience has got to be feel positive. It's got to feel motivating. It's got to feel like I'm getting something out of it or that that goes away. But I think when you combine the culture we've built around learning and development and to use your phrase, Rob, leveling people up um, with the tech, it, it just fosters a really good environment that people, frankly, don't want to leave. Okay, so I want to dive into that. You just brought something up that I think it's really interesting, Jeff. We have, I mean, we've had a lot of great sales leaders come on the show that all are like you in one way. They all have teams that are beating the market. And without exception, they all have made sure that coaching is one of the blueprints that they talk about. And you just made a really interesting statement that no one's made yet. You said the coaching has to be a good experience. It's got to be this positive experience. Could you give a couple top-of-mind thoughts that as you worked and tried to build a positive coaching experience for your reps, what are some of the things that make for a good experience and how do you know when you're actually creating an experience that your reps like? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think it probably starts with, I, I used this word a few minutes ago and it's one that is important to us. Um, and it's trust, right? And, and we, I think we've built that for the most part within the organization. And a lot of that is about transparency, um, being honest with, with the reps and, and having good authentic conversations with them. Um, not, not forcing the corporate Kool-Aid too much. Um, <laughs> we've, we've all got our jobs to do. We get that. But, but at the end of the day, it's, it's a relationship that says, look, as, as we, as we both do better, it, it's the sum of the parts concept. Um, so if we have honest conversations about it, then, then we're both going to drive the performance. You're going to do better. You're going to make more money. I'm going to do better. The company's going to do better, plain and simple. Um, and, and we're all working together and pulling on the rope in the same direction. But I think the probably the thing that I've been most encouraged by is 
all too often for the better part of my career, when I watched coaching sessions, and I've probably been guilty of it myself, I know that I have been, is there was there was too much talk and too much um, there's there was too much talk at, if you will, coming from the coach, from the manager, um, as opposed to it really needs to be the rep walking in. If I'm going to do a coaching session for an hour with the rep, and this is where the good experience comes from, they're going to feel a lot better about it. They're going to feel a lot more ownership about what the plan is walking out of that office if it's their plan and not their manager's plan. So we've transitioned into them understanding, hey, let's go look at the dashboards, give some thought to the things we've talked about the last time. And every time we sit down, 80 or 85% of the dialogue is going to come from you because you're going to come tell me what you think needs to be done next, whether that's pipeline management, whether it's relationship health with customers, whatever it happens to be. But for the most part, the expectation has been set that it's going to be your plan. All I'm going to do is offer a little guidance, maybe a little course correction. And I think that completely changes the dynamic of the coaching sessions and the reps feel a lot better about it when they walk away. Wow. I love that. So, so you have enough consistency that they, they know that this is a safe place. They're not coming for a trip to the principal's office. They really feel like this is more like a strategic planning session with someone that has some context that they might value. Is, is that what you're starting to see? Yes. Yeah. I think that's well said, Rob. That's exactly what it is. Um, you know, you think about the, the, presentations or the the, out, the output meetings that you've ever had throughout your your own career as you've worked up through the through the ranks you know you would never walk into your boss's office with the expectation that they're the one going to be responsible for the agenda <laughs> and yeah. we shouldn't yeah. do it any different frankly with reps reps need to understand that you're not only are you responsible for the agenda but again you're going to feel a lot better about the outcome from it and and it goes back to that good experience for the rep as opposed to if I just talk at you 90% of the time for an hour session, there's no way you can walk away feeling good about that coaching session. I love it. This has been fantastic. I really appreciate you sharing some of this because this was a, this was a big, um, this was a really big innovation for you guys to say, let's make it easy for our, not easy. Let's make it so our, our leaders become not just really good at knowing how waste management does things, but we're good at developing people. Um, was it hard to get your leaders to buy off that coaching was a primary role? Was, was that a hard move or did they kind of gravitate to that? Um, yeah, no, I think it was. I think anytime you go through that concept of, of transformational change, you're going to deal with, um, you know, some of the pushback. And, and look, you've got to make, there's, there's an element of this. This is not easy. I, I don't want to suggest to anybody that it is, anybody that's been through this kind of a, I keep using that word, but sort of transformational process, there's going to be some changes that people are not all that comfortable with, and they've got to figure out how to get there with you. We we had a little phrase we used multiple times throughout the process, probably still use it today, and we said sometimes you got to flex your muscles and sometimes you have to flex your initiative. Um, I love and, that. <laughs> and, and obviously what we meant by that was simply that, you know, uh, there's a certain management resolve that just has to be there on the things that you view are mission critical. You, you can't waver from them. And, and sometimes there's pain and complaints and uh, it doesn't always go smoothly. But if you if you absolutely know it's the right thing to do and it's going to win the day, ultimately, you just got to stay uh, true to it. And then there's going to be other things as you go through the process where you're going to say, look, this is probably not the mission critical piece. 
uh, as a part of the initiative, and we need to be careful not to force something down everybody's throat that just goes against human nature. And, and that's what I mean by flex the initiative. Let's make the adjustments where we need to, um, but stay stay true to the course for the overall cause. So that's a really good <clears throat> that's a good lens to look through. And I think there's a lot of people that say that that change and affecting change. They all know that's our job as a leader is to make sure that we adapt as we need to. We're able to make these things happen. Any kind of top minds, we're, we're running low on time, but this is an interesting enough topic. As you've been able to affect change, you don't just affect change with a small and sized business. You're doing it with 3,000 plus people, Jeff. Any, any other kind of top of mind, how, anything that helps make change stick rather than just be kind of examined? Um, yeah, I, and, and it's going to sound, it's not going to sound like anything miraculously new, um, but it's just, it's just so true. And it really is, it's communication. Um, the, the biggest thing that needs to happen is, and it goes both ways, right? It's not just communication down. Um, it's communication both ways. And, and it's a time when, as you're going through that process, you have to communicate both ways. And, and by the way, the other piece of this is I, I mentioned earlier about, some of the early phases of deciding what was going to be important uh, in, in this process. The other thing we had to decide, obviously, was what wasn't important, um, that we were spending way too much time on. I, I, we talked about those sacred cows, and sometimes those are not necessarily within the sales organization. They're within, in my case, in ops or in maintenance, and in other companies' case, it'd probably be within manufacturing or marketing or what have you. Um, but you really got to sometimes fight those battles to make sure that if it's non-value added stuff in order to leave time for the important things in a, in a resource constrained world and time constrained world, some of those things had to go away. So you just got to kind of fight through that. And, um, and those will be, those will be some tough moments, but it's, it's worthwhile in the end. I would imagine the bigger you are, the more of those sacred cows exist. Is there the last thing I'll ask you on this and then we'll be done with this. Excuse me. <clears throat> the last the last one says, when do you know it's time to turn that sacred cow into a nice freaking filet? When do you turn that into a <laughs> Is there any way of knowing when, when it, that cow has lived its life and it's time to turn it into something different? Um, yeah, we probably had, I would say that the, the way that we did it oftentimes was, again, goes back to the communication thing with the other stakeholders, the other members of the team. and. You know, it's one of those things, honestly, where if you if you stop doing it, maybe it's a report, maybe it's a process, whatever the case may be. The question really becomes is if you turn it off, is anybody going to miss it? <laughs> and <laughs> I love that. That's an awesome lens. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we did that in a few cases. We just made the call. We said, look, if it's if it's the kind of thing, you know, I'll say it this way. I had a really good piece of advice when I was young and it, I've kind of lived by this uh, throughout my career. And that was, if you're in the midst of making a decision about anything, if it's a decision you can make and it's relatively easily reversible, if it turns out to be the wrong one, not a lot of fallout or collateral damage, don't spend a lot of time thinking about it. If it is, if it's hard to reverse, if it's a difficult thing that once you make that decision and you go down that path, there is collateral damage potentially, and it is going to be hard to reverse it. Take a little more time, count to 10, talk to some more people and think about it. And there were a lot of things where we looked at them and said, you know what? We could turn it back on. We could do it again if we had to. Let's not spend a lot of time. Let's just not do it and see if it matters to anybody. 
Jeff, this has been outstanding. I'm, I'm, we're, we're out of time now. We're running up on it, and I, I've got a lot more things I want to do. One of the things that stands out, it's interesting, every single guest we have on the show always has something that stands out. And right now as I listen to you talk, <clears throat> your ability, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, um, your ability to be decisive uh, on behalf of this large organization really stands out to me. And this is something that I think our listeners really could benefit from is having this ability and this framework for, for being decisive. Thank you for sharing that, Jeff. I actually didn't expect us to have that pop out of this interview. And that's certainly a hallmark for any great sales leader. And it leads to the first of my last two questions. I finish every episode the same way. The first, uh, and, and, and hopefully this is one that will be a, an okay one. I can't wait to hear what you say. I like to ask everyone, what's the biggest challenge you faced as a high growth sales leader? And how do you attack it? You know, as you think through your ability to be decisive, your ability to add structure to coaching and sales and, you know, kind of run what you bought, right? As you were one of the guys that helped build that. What's one of the biggest leadership challenges that you've had to deal with along the way? Um, yeah, that's a good question, Rob. I think I would probably say just that initial get getting the alignment. In other words, making sure that the leaders that were going to be a part of the effort, you, you knew you, you knew what you were embarking on. You knew that you had to, to affect change. So what you also knew as a result is you had to have the core of the team um, buying in and believing in it and being a part of it. Um, my experience in business and in life is, is that if you've got a team that's committed and you know they're committed and they're not just, it's not just lip service, just about anything's possible because they will find a way to get it done. Um, I love that. And I think that I think that that's really what we focused on on the front end. And like I said, that's a combination. There were two things we had to do, um, some of which were were tough because it meant some some fallout with some people. We started to recognize we had some that just couldn't make the transition. They wouldn't get there with us. Um, but then others, we we just the communication was there. We talked a lot about it and we could tell that that we did have the right team members. But once we felt like we had good alignment around the core of the leadership, we knew the rest of it was just a matter of going through the execution steps, but that was the hardest part. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Final question. The same thing I ask everyone. What are the things that I've found is a really common thread with a lot of these leaders that are continuing to reinvent? And that's one of the things I also love about what you shared, Jeff, is you guys don't just sit on status quo. You're looking for how do we stay the growth story here, even after 50 years and even after all this, you know, billions of dollars of sales, we aren't fat and happy. We are a growth story. And believe me, I love that about you guys. Here's what I've learned. Many, many times, Jeff, leaders are readers. You know, I, I have many people that are, when I go to their office, that I look at their bookshelf and they talk about what they're reading. Any, any books that you would say are kind of required reading for someone that wants to be on a journey like this, something that's helped you? Yeah, the one that probably comes to mind um, is, is one that I read uh, a few months back, Rob. The one that comes to mind right now is, and, and you can kind of hear it in maybe my comments and the themes of, of the way we thought about this. It's a book by Carol Dweck called Mindset. Um, the full title is Mindset, the New Psychology of Success. And it, it's not really a sales book, as you might guess from the title. It's, it's more related to just um, what I said a minute ago, the ability for people to exercise that muscle that says if we establish in our own minds that, you know, and 
anything is possible so long as we don't put our own barriers. Most of the barriers, let's face it, that occur for people as far as why they don't make a transformation work or why they don't get to the end goal are not external things. They're not speed bumps and barriers that, that get thrown. <laughs> they're, they're internal speed bumps. <laughs> they're, they're beliefs, right? And so I think that, that as you, as you get some of that baggage, if you will, out of the way, and we spent a lot of time doing that and established a growth mindset. And that's, that's what we focused on. And also a coaching culture mindset, a learning culture mindset. Um, it just changes the game. It changes the way we approach it, and uh, it's a different outcome. Jeff, this was outstanding. We are going to have tons of uh, tons of comments like we, we always do. Uh, there's going to be a lot of interest. I'm sure there's a lot of people right now that were blown away just like I was. When I first met you and you introduced me to the way you did things, I was, frankly, just shocked at how good and how sophisticated your team is. But as I listen to you, you have so much depth and you've accomplished so much. First, tip of the hat to you what you've, you've accomplished within your team. Second, thank you for joining us, Jeff. Do you have any final comments you'd like to share with our, our audience or our listeners before we sign off? Um, just uh, same, same one I share at the bottom of a lot of emails. Happy selling out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, it's Jeff Spencer. Uh, he is the Senior Director of Sales Operations for one of the most sophisticated the sophisticated sales teams in the world right now. Whether he is flexing his muscles or flexing his initiative, he is absolutely flexing on behalf of waste management. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. Happy selling. Thanks, Rob. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast, where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? And I am so excited that we got to introduce you to Jeff Spencer. It's not often you get a chance to hear from an architect of one of the most successful sales orgs in all of North America and not at some young growth company that's having killer growth because they're small and the numbers work in their favor. We're talking about a multi-billion dollar organization that's taking what the market gives and then some. And I want to use that as a way of setting the stage. You all know that the, the one litmus test on this show, sales leaders, I don't care what industry, I don't care how big you are, I don't care how small you are. You need to lead a team, and you need to be having growth that's faster than the market gives. Jeff Spencer and Waste Management are doing that. And I'm grateful to Jeff because he shared his story as a story. And the story starts with them having a lot of growth through acquisition and consolidation. But he had a leader that got to a point and said to the team that something that I thought was super meaningful, where they said, at some point, you've got to run what you bought. And they made the decision to take their really disciplined approach to operating, being an operating organization for how they processed and did all the services that they do. They applied that same level of discipline to how they built a sales organization. And as they applied that discipline, the results have been unbelievable. Look at their growth over the last four years. I really want you to look up that stock price and see what's happened over the last five years. I know there's a lot of other contributing factors, but for sure is no uh, coincidence that about four or five years ago, they started focusing on the sales discipline side of things. And about two years ago, they started focusing on the sales leadership and coaching discipline side of things. And the reason I point both of those out is research shows that 53% of a customer's loyalty to a company comes from what the sales process is like. It's probably not a stretch to say much of the uh, loyalty that a rep has to a company comes from what the coaching process is like. And so if that's the case, there's three things that really stand out to me as I think about our interview. And, you know, 
Justine has big results and ridiculously low turnover. And that relationship between success that you create for them and turnover, it just can't be ignored. And, and there's three things that stood out to me with Jeff. Number one was his ability, his ability excuse me, to be decisive. I think decisiveness is a hallmark of great leaders. And it's not a my way or the highway. Jeff has a great way of getting enough information, weighing it, and then making decisions and acting. Too many organizations say, oh, i got to get all the information, and that, that leads to that analysis paralysis. And I'm one of those guys that believes that having 100% of the data is, by definition, making slow decisions. So you got to ask yourself, how do I get enough information so then I can act? And I loved his quote where he said, sometimes you have to flex your muscles and sometimes you have to flex your initiative. But either way, you're flexing because growth takes energy. Growth takes time. Growth doesn't just happen because you snap your fingers. you got to go out and get it. And so as a leader, you have to make sure those muscles are firing so you can make sure that growth happens. And if there was ever an organization that you think politics and that analysis paralysis would kick in, it would be something with 3,000 salespeople and over 42,000 employees. But they haven't. This is not the big giant Titanic that can't turn. This is a company that has found ways to stay nimble and make changes so they can continue to be a growth story, not a mature, flattened out story. So that's the first one is decisiveness. Uh, go back and listen to Jeff talk about some of the lenses on how they make considerations. You know, what's the impact? Can we change if it doesn't work? You know, what breaks if this breaks? There's, there's some really interesting lenses that they shared. That leads to number two. Because they're so decisive, change is something that people aren't afraid of. And I loved how he talked about how they've become a growth organization, a learning organization, and a coaching organization. And change is always driven by mindset. And he talked a lot about how barriers most of the time are not external. Most of the time barriers are internal. So they've worked really hard on creating mindset that when you work at waste, we are going to stretch, we are going to grow, we are going to have things change from time to time. And when they started to make that commitment, yeah, there were some people who didn't like it and they had to have some of the people kind of exited out. But what they've done is replace them with people who are very change open. And as a result, these barriers are coming down fast. And so that's one of the things that I think leads to change is having a mindset of barriers generally are internal, not external. And if you can get people to agree to that, what happens is change becomes something that can happen very quickly regardless of your size, which leads to the last one of ownership. And I think this is the right place to finish. You know, Waste has built this change mindset and coaching isn't top down. I hope you notice where he said coaching sessions are now happening where reps are coming to those meetings and 80 to 85% of the time the rep is talking about what they want. So instead of being, uh, when they started, there was too much talking at them and now there's talking with them. And the reps are saying, this is the path I want to take. And they've equipped them and given them tools so they can really self-correct and then come to these meetings and make commitments on what they want to have happen. And the leaders can really give some context and give some guidance and support. And all of a sudden, you have this forward-looking conversation where people have ownership in what they're doing and leaders have ownership in where their team's going. And the result has been massive. If every member of the team is applying more than just effort, if they're applying self-correction and, and initiative and ingenuity, people see these scary rates of improvement. And if you can have every individual improve at scary rates, your company is destined for big success. So I want to finish with that. Coaching and improvement is not just for underperformers. 
I believe that the most important question every leader should ask themselves, what is my plan to get at least 10% improvement with every rep on my team? Uh, and maybe you want more than that. Maybe you want less than that, but fill in that blank. What is my plan to get X percent improvement with every rep on my team? And if you address that with a, a place of authenticity, your reps will gravitate to it because they want to spend their professional cycles with organizations that help them become as successful as they can be. Not because they were pushed there, but because they figured out on their own where they wanted to be and they had a leader that helped them get there. I hope that you can apply these things and you too can have a company that's doing more than just doing good. It's uh, doing good things too. Because when you apply this kind of leadership, yeah, your company will do well, but more important, you as a leader will be doing good. Meaning you're doing good for the careers of the people you work with and the really the communities that they work in. So I'd like to challenge you with that. How can you help every rep on your team continue to have that kind of growth, whether it's your star performer or your newest member of your team? Go back and listen to Jeff Spencer's blueprint at Waste Management, and I'll think you've, I think you'll find that the ability to get there is closer than you think. And with that, finish like always. Don't worry. Just execute. Happy selling, and we got you. Thanks for joining us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and rainmakers in sales. Make sure to check out additional episodes at salesleadershippodcast.com. The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced by Brian Jepson and is sponsored by Exploit, the modern sales leadership platform for salesforce.com users. You can visit Exploit at exvoyant.com.